Hello, everyone. I'm Alan Mellons, Director of Events and Online Content at the Human Capital Institute, and this is Nine to Thrive HR, your source for education, expertise, and knowledge on all things talent. If you just can't get enough of this kind of thing, check out hci.org for more amazing free content like this. And if you also want to make real investment in your personal development this year, learn about our highly interactive virtual conference schedule at hci.org forward slash conferences. Today, my guest is Carlos Valdez de Pena, Managing Principal of Corporate Collaboration Resources. Carlos, welcome to Nine to Thrive. It is a delight to be with you today, Alan. Thank you. Oh, a delight. We don't always get people delighted. We get people having <laughs> saying it's a pleasure to be here, but delight is particularly delightful. So I'm going to dive right in on this. Uh, you know, your expertise is really around collaboration, both in person and in the virtual world. And I really think that uh, that's something that our audience and just anybody who's been working through this whole pandemic has struggled with in some form or other. So you've been working on this issue for a long time, but what has changed or morphed um, since the pandemic and what are you seeing in uh, the people that you work with, uh, how they're adapting to the uh, the new climate? Well, there are a couple of, of questions in there, I think. First of all is what's changed? I think what happened was any, what are the words, imperfections, flaws, weaknesses in teamwork and collaboration that were there uh, only became more evident um, when suddenly teams had to work apart from each other, right? So any strains that might have been present in the teamwork and in, in the relationships within the team, in one sense, it was easy to avoid them because we didn't have to see each other. But the degree to which we became disconnected, um, I think that is what caused additional problems. So the disconnection created a problem, but it's not new. None of this stuff I think is new. Uh, I think what's new about all this is the Zoom fatigue people are experiencing, the flat out, almost desperate sometimes attempt to reconnect using technology and to recapture some of that lost sense of relationship that we had when we could be in a space together. Um, So people are working harder to stay connected. And I think in that way, creating some burnout Right? We're almost trying too hard. Uh, I think, however, in the past 11 months, it's been about that since the lockdown, people have learned, right? There've been a lot of good articles written. There's been at least one book uh, by me and also books by others on ways to think more rationally about how we adapt to the remote working world. And I think people have found their their footing. There's still a, a longing to be back together again. And I think we are missing some things we'll never have unless we are back together again. But I think the learning curve has been pretty good. I think we're, we're people are getting good at this now. Still tiring, but they're getting better at it. Yes, I'm reminded of, especially at the beginning of the lockdown, everybody was enthusiastically, you know, showing off on LinkedIn and other social media platforms how like, oh, we just did this amazing um, happy hour today where we all drank wine and everybody was really into that for a minute. Um, and then it was like, it was the middle of the summer and we're like, okay, it's fine. I didn't need to zoom you. I didn't need another zoom meeting. I'll do without. (laughs) Yeah. And, And you know, it's funny. We, we do tend to reach for those things that enhance or are intended to enhance social interaction within teams. And those are nice for a while. A lot of team building is based on this idea that we have to strengthen social bonds but the truth is that it doesn't do anything for collaborative outcomes, right? Um, it doesn't address any underlying issues. It's just 
kind of nice for a while. And if you can have wine with it, all the better, but it isn't going to fix things. In fact, to your point, it gets old pretty quick. Um, yeah, so it, it doesn't do in the end what I think people hope it will do, which is engender a kind of cohesiveness in the team. Yeah, part of that cohesion and collaborative kind of juice is not just from socializing together, but also really working alongside each other. Don't you think it's yes, it's in some uh, ways more important to actually be doing together than, right. than just it, being it, together? It's my belief that human beings are wired to, to create, right? We And our creativity can look a lot of different ways. There are people who are really creative when it comes to R&D, but there are also people who are creative when it comes to how do I get all this work done in my finance job, right? We, we, we love to solve problems, especially those who have been hired by organizations with that specific remit. Come in here and help us do stuff, help us figure stuff out. It's inherently satisfying. And when we get to do that with others... That, in my experience, is what builds relationship. I was interviewing a couple of uh, retired Marines when I was writing my book, and they were really clear that those bonds, that esprit de corps that a lot of us really want to create comes not from doing your Myers-Briggs with each other or a DISC profile, but from literally or figuratively being in the trenches together and addressing the things that need to be addressed together and enjoying that deep sense of satisfaction that we get when we've done work, meaningful work with others. It's the way to build a team in my view. This is the way. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Uh, I've held a lot of different jobs within the human capital Institute. And I think definitely some of the bonds that I do have with our people are, you know, of course, some of it is based on, you know, the random interactions in the break room, getting to learn about people's lives, that kind of social aspect. But I think the people that I have the strongest ties to and the strongest memories with is, you know, when we used to do live conferences or doing online stuff like what we're doing now, these are the people that I was next to when things went wrong and we were, <laughs> and we had to fix it, you know, like the, everything went up in flames and we had to fix it. Uh, ben, who's our producer, for example, was trying to shoot some uh, B-roll footage of a conference in Miami and the wind came up and it smashed his drone. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> and so he was, uh, you know, he was a little upset about that. And we had to, you know, he had to figure out a, a problem there. But it was like, that was a great, that was a great memory too, because everybody who was there remembers the time Ben crashed his drone during the cocktail party. So, right. Yeah. Um, sorry to put you on the spot, Ben. <laughs> that sounds like a terrible experience, but a great way to, to come together. Exactly. So in this environment where we're working uh, in a hybrid environment or maybe all virtual still, how can organizations go about increasing the level of collaboration and creativity that's happening within their teams? So what I like to tell people is whether we're in lockdown and working remotely or in the office together, that if you want to collaborate better, and by that I mean create better outcomes through collaboration, if you want to collaborate better, collaborate less by focusing on those few things that matter the most. Less is very definitely more when it comes to collaboration. And so in lockdown and work from home situations, it's even more important. One of the reactions to the lockdown was people began to hyper collaborate. They would be having Zoom meetings all day long and, and, and probably end the day with a couple of glasses of wine to boot, but they'd be desperate to not let things fall through the cracks. And so it was all Skype or all Zoom or all Teams all the time, when in fact, 
What is preferable and what I write about in my book on this subject is figure out those few things where your team collaboration will really pay off, where the added time and frustration and potential conflict of having to work with others will be worth it because the outcome will definitely be better because you collaborated. My experience shows that for the average team of around eight people, and it's almost regardless of function, it's going to be three, four, maybe five things max that the team will concentrate on. Everything else, every other task, project, initiative can be done by a subset of the team, two or three people, or an individual who's really good at their job. Get clear about what needs collaboration and focus your time and energy on that. That will cut back on the number of meetings you have to have. It will focus those meetings, make them shorter and more about specific results rather than just information sharing, for example. So that's step one. We do need to tend to the social aspect of our teams. You do need to provide a little bit of time at the beginning of your meeting or end of your meeting for people to just talk about how they're doing because these are crazy times and we need to have empathy for one another but build the meeting around the shared work that matters and it'll help everybody in all kinds of ways. Absolutely. Um, as you mentioned, there's a lot of tasks that are going on that can really be covered by one person or maybe two or three people at most um, and that just require less collaboration. It's sort of whether it's not that big a task or it just it's better served by a single owner rather than collective ownership. I think that's an important piece, especially because, and also the person who should be doing it often finds it annoying when, uh, when you try and force collaboration on it. It's like, yeah, I, I know, I know what to do. I got, I can do it. Yeah. Don't need to have a meeting about this. Team, teamwork for teamwork's sake, not a good idea. Right. Yeah. So what else should we be keeping in mind when we're trying to make progress on this front, make the most of our collaborative time together? I think I think there are a couple of elements to it. You used the word intentional a minute ago. That to me is the ultimate goal. When I did my research at, when I was at Mars Incorporated, um, that's what I found was absent. Most collaboration was willy-nilly. It was, if I need it, I'll do it. If I don't need it, I, I'm not going to think about it. Um, the goal is to make collaboration a choice around how you work. I might choose to collaborate on this. I might choose to do it individually on that. To do that, you need a couple things. One, you need clarity about how your team serves the strategy or the vision of the organization. It's easy to say, oh, we're in finance, therefore we do the finance stuff, so that's easy. Yeah, but in what ways are you helping your organization become the best it can be, right? We have to start being somewhat aspirational about our team's role in the organization. That helps people connect and make their work more meaningful than just ticking off tasks. Once you're clear about that, then get clear about your team's collaborative value potential. In other words, what could we, if we acted as a unified team around the right things, what value could we create for this business above and beyond just toting up our individual efforts? Yeah. Uh, because just everybody doing their own thing. And then at the end of the day, celebrating the team is disingenuous. That's not about team. That's about individual effort done and coordinated by a boss. What's the potential value of your collaboration? You're working together on the few right things. Then choose those few right things, which I've already talked about. What are the tasks or initiatives that will fulfill that purpose and help us serve the organization in the most powerful ways? Get that kind of clarity. Then people are starting to be intentional about their collaboration, right? Oh, we need to work together on this. Let's sit down. 
Now maybe, now maybe we do a Myers-Briggs or a DISC and talk about how the way I approach work will interact with the way you approach work because we have to collaborate on something. And let's do a little contracting. To me, that's the height of intentional collaboration where you can sit down, use some good data, whether it's a survey or just what you know about yourself to contract with colleagues for how you can be most effective together. That is the height of intentional collaboration. You then build your processes, your team meetings, and your decision-making around all of that. So you use the word, let's do a little contracting, and that perked my ears up. What do you, what do you mean specifically by contracting? Let me use an example from the work I do. Um, I do use Myers-Briggs fairly frequently. Um, and if you know Myers-Briggs at all, you know when you do your, your survey, you get back four letters. You talk about whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, whether you are more of a sensing person who likes to be in the moment or a, a conceptual person who likes the big ideas, more thinking, more feeling, more judging, more perceiving. Those are the four, pardon me, the eight labels. There are four scales that you're judged on. So introversion, extroversion is a real common one, right? It shows up in Myers-Briggs as well as in Smothers. Let's use that. I'm more of an introvert. Um, you are more of an extrovert. We're working on a project together that requires us to present some really deep data to a very senior team. I love to squirrel myself away in my office and just run those numbers, build some graphs, build some charts. I love that. I and I love the privacy and the intensity of it. You, on the other hand, extrovert that you are, you love to be up in front of people talking about stuff. That's how you get your energy. When we sit down to contract, we're going to talk about that, right? We're going to say, hey, look, Alan, you love that part. I really don't like that, <laughs> right? I can bring value to this collaboration by doing what I do best behind the scenes. If you're willing, I'll need your help with that. I'll need you to look at the data with me. I'll need you to tell me whether my charts make sense, right? You're not going to be disconnected from me. But if you'll do that presenting part and that conversational part, I'll be in the room with you to support you because I'll be deep in the numbers, right? but we can use our strengths in different ways in our collaboration. That's what contracting is all about. Talking about those, whether you use Myers-Briggs or StrengthsFinder or tick on down the list, right? To use that kind of data to make some agreements about how we divvy up the work, how we choose focus within the work. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, sort of a, you know, this is an older movie reference, but the Dirty Dozen, and it's been repeated in many, many movies since, where you're building that team of, you know, I need an explosives expert, I need a this expert, I need somebody you can drive, it, all of those kinds of things to in order to get the job done. So in a sense, you're talking about using personality profile surveys as a way of surfacing, okay, you know, here's here's the kind of things I like to do where I really get energy from and here's the kind of things you do. And then we sort of contract of like, I'll do more of this stuff and you do more of that. Yeah, very simple, very straightforward. And it's a good use of that kind of data. I by no means want to throw out that baby with the bathwater. We we can do that sort of thing, but the key is to use it in ways that connect to the the meaningful work that we've spent our time identifying. Yeah, especially with introversion, extroversion, it's, um, you know, that's why so many personality tests have some measure of it is because it's really something that we can measure and be pretty confident about. So um, as we're kind of coming to the end of our time together here, I want to bring it back. And I guess I'm going to start asking this question in all of the podcasts, I think, because I heard somebody do it and I really loved it. Uh, is there any questions that 
I should have asked you that uh, that you would really want people to know the answer to uh, on this topic. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I feel a little bit like a <laughs> guinea pig here. Yes. Um, I'm trying to think of a way to, I have an idea here, but I have to think of a way to phrase it as a question. Here, here you go. Carlos, why do companies, organizations waste so much money on team building that really doesn't build teams? <laughs> I love that. So why do they do that? That's a heck of a good question. <laughs> if I had the answer, I'd probably be making more money. Um, I, look, the oldest models of team interaction, which go back to the 50s and 60s and came out of work done, mostly with the military. It was started after World War II when they were doing tea groups and things like that. What they identified as factors for successful teams had a lot to do with our relationships with others. Um, and whether we're getting along or not, if you think about Tuckman's very famous four stages of team development, forming, norming, storming, performing, really what Tuckman was writing about was what does conflict look like at, in a team at any given point? And stage one, there's very little conflict. It's all under the surface. Nobody knows anything about each other. That's the, the forming part. Then storming, as people get to know each other, the conflict ticks up. And it's all about, so we better address how people are getting along. That really gained traction in the 60s, and we've never really been able to displace it. By contrast, I have a colleague who I worked with years ago. We could not be more different. And in fact, I'd have to say we didn't like each other. But goodness, we were good together. We had a complementary set of skills, and it didn't matter that we didn't like each other or that I didn't know his Myers-Briggs type or his strengths finder. We just made it work. We didn't need an exercise to make our relationship better. We made the work serve. And we got to be really, in a sense, kind of a strange friendship evolved, right? Because we so respected each other and did such good work together that we could celebrate those outcomes together. So I'm more on that side of things, right? Let's focus on the work and how we're going to work together and what that means. And the relationship follows. But for years, people have been saying, oh, no, no. If we don't get the relationships right, it's never going to be a good team. And I think that's my theory about why so many organizations spend so much money on ropes courses and escape room outings and Zoom wine functions, things where people will relate with each other in a playful way in the hope that we can make relationships better and that will make us a better team. That, I think, is the fallacy. I may be wrong, but that's my best guess. <laughs> Well, you know, you bring up the the military stuff like this. I remember reading, and this was several years old, but I remember reading an article by somebody who was embedded with a bunch of uh, infantrymen in Afghanistan for a while, and he was talking about the social dynamics on, you know, on those little platoons, and he did say that a high-performing platoon did not have to have people who really got along and really loved each other on it. It depended more on what you were actually describing of, you know, was there respect? Did people's skill sets complement each other? And was everybody taking responsibility for themselves and also the unit? You know, it was more right, uh, right. focusing on the work, like you said. Yeah. Um, I would imagine there's a lot of truth to that. In my experience, it's the most effective way to get teams to turn around their performance. And I've seen it do some really amazing things. Um, I don't want to be the Grinch, right? I'm not about don't go out and have fun with each other because that's not good. Um, but if what you want is better outcomes from collaboration, you'll have to set aside that prevailing preference to do stuff about building relationship first, as if that were the entryway. It's an important 
enabler, but it's not a, as I once wrote in an article, it's not a precursor or a, a prerequisite for effective teamwork. Well, I can't think of a better place to end than there. So I do want to give everybody a chance to find out all the, uh, I have the feeling, Carlos, that you have a lot more going on than just what we talked about today. So what's the best way for people to keep track of you and see what you're working on uh, right now? I would direct people to my website. It's Carlos V. DePena, and I'm guessing you'll put this in the show notes so I won't spell it out. CarlosVDePena.com, and there you'll find links to my corporate website, from where I do my consulting, to my podcast, to my blogs and articles. Uh, I am on LinkedIn under my full name, Carlos Valdez de Pena, and on Facebook as well. So lots of ways you can track me down. Excellent. Well, thank you, Carlos. And for all ideas related to HR, come visit us at the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. Don't forget to like us, rate us, and subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Smart Radio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Mellish.